not good at mini golf. I don't think mini golf is particularly amazing sport in terms of like athletic challenge or prowess. I do think it's goofy and it makes me laugh and that's all I need. <laughs> it's a great sport. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Danielle. I'm Sam. And this is the podcast where one of us explains a weird piece of media to the other who has no experience with it. Danielle? Yes. That's me today. No experience. <laughs> you have to be gentle. It's my first time hearing about this media. That's true. I'll be as gentle as possible. <laughs> Great. Kid gloves, yeah. please. <laughs> Do you know what we're doing today, Sam? Gosh. No, no. Oops, that's the entire premise. Yeah. I mean, if I did, Danielle, why would we be here? I know that it's not going to be another Disney Channel original movie because... You don't know what I defaulted to, Sam. You don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming it's not because it's too soon and you don't want to burn through all those and have nothing left for the future. You want one of those in the back pocket for later. That's true. Or five. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are going to be my default every time I can't think of something. So you all know every time I do a Disney Channel original movie, it's only because I couldn't think of something else to do that week. Yeah. Danielle's creatively bankrupt. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> I am. So I'm actually doing a little bit of a throwback. Sort Ooh, of Nancy Drew, kid, like a, a Sweet Valley no, High. No, but uh, Hardy Boys. Some, yes, there it is. <laughs> I got there. Good guess. That was excellent. Well, I did the two things that we already did. You're like, well, what else did Danielle read? Hardy Boys. Everything. I do. Lo- I could have been Night of the Crabs or something, Sam. You don't know. But I think like you would have more fanfare for that. You would want to give that one more of a space to breathe. That's true. Also, those books are really hard to find right now. Anyway. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> What I am going to be doing is Hardy Boys Case Files, which is a renewal of the series from the 80s and 90s. So wait, wait, wait. We're doing a 40-year-old reboot of the Hardy Boys? (laughs) Yes. You realize that the the new Hardy Boys is... (laughs) 40 years old now. <laughs> These are amazing. And they're not 40, they're 34. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to round up by six years. And the Hardy Boys, I'm guessing 3,000 year existence. I'm sure <laughs> I, that Herodotus was telling tales of the Hardy Boys in ancient Greece. I would love to know when the Hardy Boys started. I'm actually, I used to know that and do not know it currently. Before bread. Before. It, before. it might have been before sliced bread. They debuted in 1927. Okay, so just in time, uh, was it just post-Great Depression or just pre-Depression? Do we know our American history on this podcast? No, we do not. No, it's just like we said, the Roaring Twenties, then we have the Great Depression. Okay, so it's like just sort of in time for the Depression. <laughs> yes. I think Depression, I want to say the Depression, I'm going to say 29? Something like that. I don't I remember when right Black Friday the... was. So that's like... Yeah. Was a black, no, black Monday. Sorry, gosh. American history is hard, man. Black Friday is the new most important American holiday. Black Friday. <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't like Black Thursday? I don't. It was a black someday. <laughs> pretty sure. Anyway, I think don't it was- Don't write I, in. I'm pretty sure it's 28 or 29, and I think it was Black Thursday. But All right. So we've we embarrassed ourselves enough on our, on our utter ineptitude with American history, Danielle. Oh, it depends on who was right, actually. <laughs> I think we both embarrassed ourselves pretty hard. 
Okay, so what we're doing today, Sam, getting back on track from Hardy is Boys. A 19, 1987, the Hardy Boys case files number one, Dead on Target by Franklin W. Dixon. Dead on Target. Writers. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to speculate what it's about just based on the title. Okay, go for it. This is about one of those stunt divers, like in the circus that land on little targets, like a little water pool from a high dive, like a high dive stuntman. Yes, that. And he misses, and now he's dead on the target. They have to. It's a literal why. thing. He's dead on a target. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're wrong. That's better. You're wrong. That's better. <laughs> Probably, actually. Uh, but it wouldn't be nearly as crazy if we were going off. Well, I mean, it would still be weird. <laughs> like, you don't want to see like a high dive murder mystery? I guess. And that probably exists somewhere in the Hardy Boys Nancy Drew canon. That's even worse. All right. Well, tell me about what's dead on target. Give me the description for dead on target. Okay. So I'm going to give you a little background first because I think before I give you the one line description and I the one line description profusely, I looked for more, but the ones that were longer gave way too much away. And we're doing a two-parter on this and it told you the entire first part. <laughs> I would love a Hardy Boys show. It's like, this week, the Hardy Boys catch old man McGee after he murders somebody. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I don't have to read the book. Well, actually, all the newer Hardy Boys start with like a page of a kind of in media rest, like something pulled from the actual book, some high stakes scene, and you just get to read like a couple of paragraphs of something that's happening later it's like the movie they'll start like and you probably wonder how i ended up in this crazy situation <laughs> water skiing over the arctic ocean a little bit what book was it that i did that 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 happened <laughs> i don't know but i hated it i'm like it's, just, it's such a gimmick in, in a movie it's gimmicky enough because you have to like draw you in the action but like i already paid my ticket you don't need to like do that i'm here in the theater get, get on with it do, do it right exactly however books 1987 dead on Sorry. target we do a book we, we do a book on this podcast for once my mistake i think it's important to note the reason why partly the reason why i'm doing this end of the series as opposed to one of the earlier ones is because part of the reason that this book is particularly weird is because of how far it pulls from the old series so you mean like it takes a lot of stuff from the old series it's like i'm going in a completely new direction it go it goes in a com it tries to be much more like 90s thriller high Excellent. stakes important Excellent. like this and you may remember from probably from like old nancy drews or old hardy boys like the the stakes were low <laughs> very well. often they were a magician. For example, right. For example, I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you some very quick little one line summaries of the old books, so that you okay. understand how crazy the new book. Don't is, tell okay? me. Don't tell me the titles. I'm going to make up the titles after you tell me the summary. Oh, okay. So the first one, for example, Frank and Joe Hardy work together to solve a high stakes jewel heist. That's that was the very first Hardy Boys book. Nineteen. The case of the family jewels. Not what it's called. <laughs> Should be. It's called the Tower Heist. Well, mine's okay. better. <laughs> And then, for example, in another one, they go to a haunted house, supposedly haunted house, because there's a scream and they are freaked out about it. And they find out there's a smuggling case, like low stakes stuff. Okay. Edvar Munch, the not scream. Yes. Or for example, one time they bring to justice somebody who is sabotaging road building project in the Kentucky wilderness. <laughs> These are very low stakes. Justice hits a pothole. <laughs> the Hardy Boy story. <laughs> And so, I, again, if I'd given you the whole summary, you would see how crazy this is, but you will see it play out. So I'm just going to give you my one-line summary, and we'll go from there. I think I just ignored all my awesome Hardy Boys titles. I absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> they were all wrong. Justice is a pothole is a great title, though. Come on. <laughs> Not for Hardy Boys. I guess you just don't appreciate good literature, Danielle. All right. Here's what we have for – I forgot the title of this book already. Dead on Target. Dead on Target. Yes. 
The Hardy Boys tangle with an international terrorist killer in a secret government agency called The Network. All right. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. First off, Tangle. Great choice. Sure. I want to imagine, like, boxing. Like, I'm going to get you, terrorists. One, two. Second, are we going to do, like, the born identity of the Hardy Boys? Yes. Perfect. I'm down. They're, like, young college-age students, born identity style. <laughs> also, do they try to use a whole bunch of, like, radical slang to make it sound super modern? No. No. It definitely has a more modern writing style and probably some more updated slang, but nothing to the point where you're like, wow, this is very 80s. They're not, like, <laughs> talk, trying to talk to the Ninja Turtles or whatever, like, radical. No. no. Totally rad, Joe Hardy. I don't, know, just... I don't know their names. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you more, some more background. <laughs> Joe and Frank Hardy. I got it. It was Joe. Are the brothers. It was yeah, Joe. Joe. Oh, my God. I it yeah, was Joe. Yeah. I imagine Joseph and Franklin, but who knows? Joe and Frank. <laughs> Good job, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Well done. Good job, Sam. <laughs> Joe and Frank Hardy are the brothers uh, who solve mysteries, usually fairly local or across the United States. Sometimes they get to go abroad. And now, and which do one fun of them stuff. is dating Nancy Drew, or are they both dating Nancy Drew? Okay, so both have girlfriends in the original. Joe's girlfriend's name, Iola, and Frank's is Callie. But. Whenever there's a crossover with the Nancy Drew series, Frank often has kind of a thing with Nancy Drew. He's not going to cheat on Callie. He's not that bad. But there is one episode where they pretend to date or something, and it's a whole thing. It's a very big, crazy book that's very uh, has some divisive things among the fans. So he has an emotional affair with Nancy Drew. A little bit. Or the, the big <laughs> MD, as she's known in the literary world. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of crossovers, but there are a good handful of them that were pretty well known in the 90s. All right. So... Frank and Joe, Frankie and Joseph, Franklin Josephus oh Roosevelt. Gosh. Who cares, Sam? <laughs> All right, are you ready? You ready for this? Sure. I'm clearly already on a on a, on He's the hungry. edge of my seat. <laughs> All right, so it starts in Medias. Joe pushes past Frank, his brother, trying to reach their yellow sedan, which is exploded into flames, and they die because no, of shrapnel. Inside of well, inside of the car is Joe's girlfriend, Iola. So she's dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hardcore dead. They killed off somebody who had been in, like, most of the past books in uh, the first sentence of this new book. <laughs> so she's actually dead. It's not like some sort of weird fake out dead where, like, in Mission Impossible, she escaped through uh, a sewer grate below the car I'm or something. Definitely not going to tell you that if it happens in future books, but it does not happen in this book. I think I'm only halfway through. It's been a hot minute since I've read this book. Excellent. I am so down for the Hardy Boys just straight up <laughs> murdering a beloved character. It's wild. And Frank tackles him, holding him off, and he's like, she wouldn't have lasted a second. Face it, Joe. Which is a terrible way to tell your brother not to go after hey, Joe, his dead girlfriend. Don't have a dead girlfriend. She's dead. Don't forget about it. Move on. She's real, Nancy Drew. real dead. <laughs> So they grapple, and Frank eventually knocks Joe out as the wail of sirens sounds in the distance. They should never have come, thinks Frank. Clarification. Yes. The wail of sirens refers to the sound, not the animal. Correct. The, the creature, the siren. <laughs> the wail of sirens. As in, Hold it. You have summoned oh, the, wail the wail of sirens. I, sirens. I was like, what? <laughs> If you listen clearly on the ocean, you can hear the whale of sirens. He's I mean, a whale that makes cool. room for the other whale, but making siren noises. <laughs> he goes out of them. All right, I'm, Get out I'm of the so way, not everybody. ready for this, Danielle. I'm so not ready for a plot of deep intrigue. <laughs> All right, cut to one hour earlier. Previously on the Hardy Boys case files. 
One Joe? hour? His girlfriend broke on an hour? <laughs> well, no, she blew up and now it's earlier. It's an hour earlier before she blew up. She's alive. Okay. <laughs> Joel pulls up to uh, up their car to the I mall. I hate time the, travel books, Danielle. <laughs> the yellow sedan that they have, which I've never seen a yellow sedan, but apparently it exists. You don't think yellow sedans exist? I think they exist. I just don't think you see them very often. So, you know... 1987, man. Sure. So Joe Joe pulls up to the mall, and inside are him and Frank and their two girlfriends, Iola and Callie. And there's a political rally going on for a man named Walker, who is petitioning for president. Walker for president. If this was the 1950s, like the series, that would be definitely a communist rally. They have to bust some heads. <laughs> well, we quickly find out that Callie and Iola are involved in his campaign, in Walker's campaign. And Frank and Joe are kind of like, this is why we're here, because apparently their girlfriends didn't tell them anything. That's and not Frank how and that Joe, works. <laughs> Frank and Joe don't want to help hand out stuff, but they said they'll stand in the crowd and, you know, bolster the numbers. And apparently Walker yeah, is campaigning <laughs> Walker's campaigning on a very deep anti-terrorism campaign. Wow. Uh, that's strangely prescient for 20 years later. <laughs> It's quite, it's, this is a book. <laughs> so uh, apparently this is a dress rehearsal for the main affair, which is one week later. Is a dress where, rehearsal campaign? Trust me. It's like a dress rehearsal. So my understanding, because the story definitely does not tell you this, is that obviously there's, like, they're handing out flyers, they're doing a big thing, and they're trying to, like, let people know that Walker is going to be there in a week at the same location for a much bigger event. So this is like a pre-event to the main event. But they call it a dress rehearsal. I, I know how politics works, Danielle. That's like it's expensive <laughs> and needlessly convoluted. I agree. But it makes sense in the context of this book. It doesn't make sense, but it does help with the plot. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. I'll say, like, yeah, the logic is sound. This is how Paul does, he does a deep dive into the political operations of this book and how, like, political campaigns are on the financing laws like if you do a dress rehearsal you can deduct that from the total financing so it's like having two rallies for the price of one it makes sense the FTC will look into it <laughs> it's exactly what it is there's like a band there's flyers there's a ton of people they're trying to get everybody's attention that's not a dress rehearsal <laughs> As I said, Philip Walker, the candidate, will be there the next week because I guess presidential wait, candidates wait, come to rally. Debate. He's not even there. No, he's going to come the next week. This is I told you the pre-rally where they're I, like, "Hey, oh, come back this. next week. <laughs> the president elect is going to be here." He's the president elect already. If I thought he was just no, camp- he's uh, he's just campaigning. Okay, I'm going to say like, why is the president elect? Hey, guys, you voted for me. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and I think it's important to note that this happens in Bayport of, I don't think it has a state. And this town's not that big. <laughs> this is a small town. <laughs> so why is this guy campaigning in Bayport? I don't know. <laughs> Bayport and, and who caresville? So Frank immediately loses Joe in the crowd. And when he finally finds him, Joe is with some pretty blonde. And they're obviously, he's, you know, trying to chatter up. And Iola shows up before Frank can get over there and asks him to help get more leaflets out of the car. And he just kind of eyes the girl. You can tell she's a bit upset about it. You think? Oh, yeah, go figure. <laughs> Wait, Joe's Joe's a sleazy one, right? <laughs> sleazy, but sure, yeah. He's the, the, uh, he's the one chatting up some random blonde lady yeah, at his absolutely. girlfriend's political event that she brought him to. Yes, absolutely. How old are these people? Are they like 16? Okay, um, in the originals, I think they're teenage, like kind of later teens. Yeah, that makes um, sense. In this series, I think... It uh, doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure from some vague recollection, again, been a few years since I've read these, I'm thinking they're like post-high school, college-aged-ish, so like so maybe early still 20s. still like young enough to be idiots. Got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So I guess you're never old, too old to be an idiot. No. Joe kind of like reluctantly pulls out his keys and is like tossing them from hand to hand. And Iola is like, knock it off. And she grabs the keys and she walks off. And Frank pulls him aside and is like, hey, is Iola your girlfriend or not? Like, what are you doing right now? Dude, no stop, kidding. Stop flirting with other girls or break up with Iola. Are they twins, the Hardy Boys? No, they're just uh, – Joe's younger. Frank's like a year older or All something. Right, thank you. Gain context. Mm-hmm. And they find they both of them go after Iola to help her pull the leaflets because it's a big box, I guess, in the car. And they have to uh, go to this underground parking garage where the car is parked. So they catch up just before the car she's marching to angrily. Um, Explodes. Yeah. Well, yeah. They ca- Sorry, I phrased it wrong. They catch up <laughs> just before the car she's marching angrily towards. Uh, Joe hurries, like, hurries to catch up to her while she's walking that way. And then, as you know, the car explodes. So, so this is the car explodes. Oh, okay. I was kidding. This is an hour before the explosion. I told you we we're going an hour back in time. Well, I thought it was an hour before the explosion. So it's just I'm confused. Does the car explode now? Yes. So we so just we it we opened with the car at that exploding. Rally. Yes. Okay. That was what I, I thought we were like there for like five minutes. <laughs> no, just because I well partly summarizing, but also just kind of go. It, it, these books move fast. I mean, okay. everything's all only right. a page all or right. two long in description. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I was not prepared for the speed at which this book was like. Here's an explosion <laughs> one hour earlier. Hey, we're at this rally. Oh, here's the explosion again. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why even yeah. do that? Why even it bother? The way it's written, it's never – I've never noticed how quick stuff usually goes. Like, not that I wouldn't want more details, but they're only 180 pages. So there's like a quick read, you know? I'm just saying, like, why even bother with the cold open of, like, the car explodes? Because it's – Here's, like, okay. five pages where the car explodes. This like, is what you need to know about Hardy Boys. First off, always opens with some kind of crazy shenanigans. Secondly, okay. every single chapter is a cliffhanger. Always. Right. But, like, why not have something that's more exciting that happens – I don't know – halfway through the book or whatever instead of like one page before you get to it <laughs> like it doesn't even necessary to have it happen literally pages before it happens i don't know the answer to that but it's a really strong opening when you kill off a character that was very present i agree in the i think books. it's amazing that they're like we'll kill off a character <laughs> and we'll give you like five minutes to read some pages and the character's dead again like it just seems yeah. like you're not really dangling that carrot for very long <laughs> i remember the first time i read this i was probably i was probably about six Oh, no, I was younger. I bet I was 13, 12, 13. I was 13-ish. And I read this and I was like, oh, my God, they killed off Iola. <laughs> I was like shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a cute little Danielle being like, oh, I'm so scandalized. A character died in a book. Yeah. Me and a friend of mine were very into the Hardy Boys and we uh, talked about that it. That sounds like, adorable. You probably went on a we live journal and blogged cute. about it. <laughs> And may have written stories. Who knows? Danielle. Oh, Danielle. <laughs> you have to read one of your Hardy Boy fanfics for this I podcast. I'm pretty sure they don't exist anymore. Listeners. Oh, <laughs> listeners. If you've never accepted my calls to action before, accept this one. Harass Danielle to read her Hardy Boys fanfiction okay, on the podcast. I'm, not, I'm, I'm genuinely not sure they exist anymore, you guys. <laughs> I'm not trying to, like, get out of it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Don't let her freak. Don't let her out of this easy. <laughs> You're welcome to petition for it. I just am not sure they exist. Make it unfortunately. happen. Unfortunately. Right, I was thinking well, about them earlier today, actually. A future treat for us, perhaps. <laughs> Which one were you dating in your fanfic? Uh, I'm not telling you that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, cut to the funeral day. Sad. We're sad, Sam. We need to be in a sadder oh, I'm sorry, mood. We're sad. Iola, who I know nothing about, died. Well, you just have to know that she was his girlfriend for like uh, 60 years. <laughs> 
to be clear, this is the first book in this rebooted series, right? Absolutely. Yep. Number one. So if you were a fresh reader, say, hey, I never read the Hardy before. Maybe it's time to get into it. Oh, the character's dead and there's a funeral. I didn't really care for this character. I had no connection to them. You don't, but you know that they like you I mean, it's you clear think, that it's a long term girlfriend. But yeah, you know, you don't have any emotional attachment to this. That's woman. what I'm getting at. Like it seems like it's very impactful for the people who know the Hardy Boy, everyone else is like, Oh, Okay, I guess it's supposed to be sad. Yes, and it is. So Callie and Frank have met up, and Frank is telling her that Joe is acting like a completely different person right now. He's not speaking. He's not, you know, he's usually really fidgety and just moving a lot. He's not. And their dad, who is a detective, I believe. Sure. <laughs> I wanted to say lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that's Nancy Drew's father, and then I was confusing the two, conflating them in my head. He's a detective. Uh, looked like a ghost when they were finally brought home by the cops the other day, and has lost locked himself in the den, and then left mysteriously, I think, that morning. Okay, so first off, good job showing empathy there, buddy. <laughs> oh, my brother just has girlfriend murdered in front of his eyes, acting weird. Yes, well, he's just telling Callie, like, I don't know how to reach him. He's not talking to me like he normally does. Oh. They're really close normally. So this is not a wine session. This is a, like, I, I'm looking for help session. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's looking specifically for help, but he's just, like, letting, I think he's letting the audience know, but he's letting Callie yeah, know in the book. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So I didn't mean to to impugn Frank. I'm never going to get through straight which one's which. Frank's the more upstanding one. But though, the one that's talking now is Frank. Is Frank, yeah. Okay. I, every time you say one of their names, I immediately forget it. Okay, well, well, you'll get there because maybe I'll do more and then you'll really know who they are. I mean, I know okay. like, there's a Frank and a Joe. I just don't know which one is which whenever you're talking about them in the moment. Joe is the one who hits on other girls and Frank is the more upstanding guy with a stick in his butt a little bit. Stick in his butt. Got it. Yeah. So the cops, he says, Frank says, are saying someone planted a bomb, but they don't seem to have any clues or any information about it at this time. As opposed to what? Like the code is spontaneously combusted? I don't know. Hey, so, hey, um, hey, we're detectives. We think your girlfriend might have been exploded by a bomb. Pay us. <laughs> that seems clear. So Frank yeah, and Joe leave job, the service. Dumbass. <laughs> they leave the service and they are stopped by a short man in a gray coat outside. And he calls after them and introduces himself, handing off a card that reads Arthur E. Gray, World Import Export. And he says Which his is firm gibberish. is a Got it. and his firm is a client of their father's. It is gibberish. Also, he's Mr. Gray. This is this is basically clue. Yes. They're not gonna be named for colors. You're gonna love that love this. So Frank's like, my father's never mentioned you before, which I loved. Like, they are up on their father's daily business activities. I was to the not. Degree, <laughs> to the degree that they would know every single person that their, their dad Weird. works with. I, I go into my father's study and read through his case file after breaking open the safe, and I'd never seen yours. It's exactly what it sounds like, too. Yeesh. So Mr. Gray says that the well, well, you know, you may not know me, but your dad speaks about you all the time and speaks very highly of you. And want, I wanted to offer my condolences because I'm in town. And he offers them a ride home, and Frank is like, eh, no. <laughs> and he's like, Are you sure? I have candy. I know. He's like, nah, we're good. We're gonna walk, clear our heads. So they decline. And he tells them that since he knows their father's out of town, if they need anything, just to call the number and ask for Mr. Gray. Okay, cool. And he immediately asked his father about this mysterious Mr. Gray person to confirm his story. Well, remember, their father's out of town. And apparently in the 80s, when your father was out of town, you had no way of contacting them ever again. Oh, right. Of course. I'm sorry. I forgot he was out of town. I thought he locked himself in the room. He did. But that morning, he completely disappeared. Like, he took the... He put his suitcase in a car and drove off, and they have no idea okay. where he went. I missed that detail. I was too busy being upset. I did say, I did say he disappeared. 
You did. I, again, I'm not saying you didn't say it. I'm saying I missed it. <laughs> well, he's not there. So on the way home, Joe and Frank talk. They're kind of wondering where their dad is. And if only he was home, they could ask him about Mr. Gray. But he's been so mysterious lately. And they don't know if it's some big case that he was working on or if it's related to Iola somehow. Could they ask their mom? Because apparently everyone's just up in the dad's business. Um, I mean, I'm sure they could ask their mom. Their mom does not. I mean, their mom exists. They don't seem to talk to her very frequently. Ooh, what not? That's very 1950s, Hardy Boy. <laughs> it is. And I'm sure, I'm sure maybe in future books, she probably plays more of a part. And this one, she's gone pretty immediately, which we'll get to shortly. Great. So they I, you don't even, in the least first half, they don't even talk to their mom. So Joe stops him as they're walking down the road, telling him that they need to talk. And he tells Frank that he's been thinking about Iola and his re- relationship and how crappy he was to her, because he was. Yeah. And <laughs> he's going to get whoever did this. And when he's through, they'll wish they'll never been born, which, you know, okay. Mm, yes, me, unskilled teenager who had a pretty bad relationship with my girlfriend. Now I am Liam Neeson taking revenge. I'm going to assume they're like early 20s, but I could be making that up. Well, whatever. All right. Either way, like... Joe has the ability to Liam Deeson, okay? He does? Absolutely. They can do anything, Sam. They're Frank and Joe Hardy. That means nothing to me. <laughs> it means everything to me. I know, Danielle. This is why we're here. <laughs> So apparently that morning, Joe walked back to the mall and talked to a few of the bomb experts that were finishing up because they you can just do that to, to young adults. <laughs> hey, I know you're busy here on an active crime scene. I'm just a random citizen, but tell me everything you know about this crime. That's my favorite part about both Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew is just how everybody shares everything with them. <laughs> Nonsense. It is. And apparently the whole car was filled with plastic explosives and a detonator was in the gas tank. And Joe's blaming himself. What? (laughs) What do you want to know? I'm just confused by like, that's a lot of plastic explosives for one. And also like. (laughs) For one car, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Also like a detonator in the gas tank, which is not a place you want to put a detonator. You want to put it on plastic explosives, maybe? Uh, Sam, I don't know enough about bombs. (laughs) I'm just saying, the gas tank in the gas tank, not particularly explosive or flammable. Well, maybe it just seemed like an extra bonus. They do say something a lot about them basically going to town, like the whole car was full of Also, I know you can't tell me this, not yet, but I really want want to imagine that in the intervening hour, while they're in the rally, that's when they fill plastic explosive, if you're just like, had a camera on the car, you'd see a bunch of guys like, quickly, get the wheelbarrow. And they're like, wheelbarrowing plastic flows over and they're like, like shoving it in the car as quick as possible. Yeah, exactly. Just like, shh, quiet, no one can see it. Just shoving it in there. Yeah, this was 87. There were no cameras in the parking garage. That would be perfect. So Joe is blaming himself and shows Frank the melted set of keys that he'd been sassy with earlier that he apparently got from the evidence. Yeah, <laughs> and he wears them as a necklace now, like on his necklace. That's insane. <laughs> he says, I'm keeping them to remind me that we've got work to do and someone has to pay. Are you with me? I want to see Joe like snapping necks and like going full John Wick on this. Actually, the nice thing about the opening to this is like Frank and Joe didn't really have a lot of emotional depth, as you might imagine in the, the books from the you know 20s to sure. the 50s. And it's kind of nice to see Joe have to have some kind of emotional arc in the series. Yeah, how's that work out? Pretty well. Okay. Though he does get a new girlfriend at some point. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> well, I mean, he's Joe. He can't be contained for long. No, but it does allow him to be like the playboy brother a little bit. He has too much love hardcore. to share with all the women of the world. It's kind of nice because car- it carries over to future books for a while. So Frank's like, of course, I'm always with you. Let's go. So they decide to that start with the so local. That was so easy. 
Well, you want to help me Frank's murder some bad people? Like, first off, yeah, they're always on board for murdering bad people together. <laughs> That's great. I'm like, I mean, I don't think like, Joe, you've just had a traumatic experience. Maybe you should talk to a therapist or a grief counselor for a bit before we start going on a revenge spree. I don't think, oh, yes, they are definitely going to go on a revenge spree. But also like at this point, it's just like, well, you know, let's do some basic research and kind of see what's going on. Frank might just be trying to, like, help him feel like he's doing something. Are they detectives at this point in this book? Like, isn't they already do, or is it like... I don't... Th- okay. At some point, possibly the books tell us this. I, I Again, I have read a lot of these, but it's been a long time. But at this point, as far as you know, they're just, like, unaged young adults who work with their dad who is so a detective. So they don't have the like boy detective legacy right now. So this isn't like okay, we'll do our detective work too. We can find this is them going. No, what? they're so oh, so you're asking if they have a history of it within the city or like people know yeah, like, like, detectives. Like, yes. Okay, yes, okay. Yes, okay. They that, do. That's what I'm getting at Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Because if they're like, you know, oh we were Encyclopedia Browns as a kid and now let's go do our detective yes. shtick. Fine. That's exactly I, what this is. Right, but I don't right, know if right, they're right. legal. I don't know if they're legally detectives. Oh, like, no, I don't know if they have a license. Not. <laughs> not well, licensed. they might be. be- they might be because their dad is. And they're working with their dad, and so it's possible they All also. Right. I mean, they're if assuming they're in their twenties, sure. they like, don't have they a might. license to kill. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> who does? <laughs> I'll tell you one man who does. Me. <laughs> Bond. James Bond. Yes. Um, they decide to start with the local cops. So they're on a first name basis with most of the cops. To All right. So your this question. is making more sense than Okay. Yeah. So they go to find out who's in charge of the case, but apparently it's a new cop from, or new detective from New York who is sassy. And they we head are. on in. That, yeah, everyone from New York is sassy. <laughs> I know. That's what I've heard. And they head on in to chat with them. And his name is Butler, or last name, I assume, is Butler. I don't know if they give us our, his first name. So he bottles. Got Butler. it. They walk in, introduce themselves, and Butler's like, great, you saved me the trouble of calling you. Maybe you'll smarten up and confess. I want to know what you two clowns put in the car because it makes you responsible for Iola's murder. What? <laughs> I don't know. So, Butler, ace cop, has two <laughs> suspects walk into her office like, hey, you blew up your girlfriend. Tell me now. Yes, that is exactly what he does. <laughs> is everyone in this book an incompetent boob? Uh, always with cops. I mean, that's Perfect. just like, cop- I mean, that's always think any junior detective. The cops are usually kind of morons. Excellent. Otherwise, you wouldn't need like a 16 year old detective solving your cases. <laughs> I mean, honestly, maybe we should try. It can't do much worse. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So, Joe's livid, and Butler insists, You really think I'd fall for the mad bomber story? He says, Nobody would waste a bomb on a pair of punk kids, but punk kids playing with the wrong toys might blow themselves up, especially kids who get involved in politics. So his entire (laughs) chain of evidence is, No one wants to kill you guys, so you must have been toying around with bombs as, like, for funsies? Even though they're, like, the sons of a... De- detective who probably has a lot of you know people that might not want them alive you know who knows if there's something going on with one of the other families so i, I know they would bring him for questioning they'd ask him some questions i don't think you would jump to oh you're clearly the murderers because you like to play around with bombs i have this whole elaborate story in my head without doing any detective work <laughs> yes well he does <laughs> great frank's like no definitely didn't try to blow up the girlfriend and if you need a character reference you can talk to the chief of police and butler is like i see this all the time in new york human slime with important friends to cover for them i did all his lines verbatim because they kill me they're so funny (laughs) now he's slandering new york (laughs) i know rough man i mean it's not wrong but you know it still hurts (laughs) all right (laughs) 
<laughs> this guy's hilariously like over the top stereotypical melodrama. I know. They sass back and forth and Butler finally tells them not to get in his way with their junior detective nonsense. There's prime suspects and he'll arrest them for impeding investigation. And they if he's a prime leaving. suspect, like put him in inter- you gotta interview. There's a process. No, they just let him go. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, Butler, just Butler him go. sucks. <laughs> they leave and Joe asks Frank what their next move is. Cause, and Frank's like, well, we're going to go head to the mall and impede an investigation. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> what he says don't impede I know, I my investigation it. i got it danielle <laughs> i just nothing to add to like that's exactly what i thought they were gonna do and i i assume he's being sarcastic but i'm taking him literally because that's what they're doing they are so they head in to speak with the store clerks hoping to find someone who saw something important and they head over to mr pizza where they know the manager tony tony the pizza manager i know right okay. <laughs> this book book leans heavily i'm not saying it's the best for depiction of the 80s and 90s well i'm not oh god i, I go to move on i don't have time for this <laughs> they're chatting about whether the motive was to get the hardies or if someone had something against iola or callie's family or if it was some kind of political motive for some reason obviously there's lots of reasons why a car could have been blown up in the parking garage and I, they, they have the answer Hear yes. me out. There was a defect in the car, and the manufacturer didn't want to have to issue a recall. So they thought by murdering everyone who knew about it, they would avoid the recall problem. Say millions. Just that one yellow sedan. Yeah. I mean, good as excuse as any. <laughs> oh, that's as, <laughs> as solid detective work as Butler was doing. Oh, sure. You did just as good. Well done, Sam. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so they ask Tony to introduce them to the owners in the mall, the other owners in the mall. They all know each other, I guess. <laughs> I thought this was funny. I was like, do mall owners know each other? Sure. We have a club. We have like a teacher's lounge for the owner to we'll hang out during the day when we're there in our mall There was apparently some, some group, but he actually just takes them over to one specific store, which is like the head of the, I don't know, co-op-y version of the mall, and is like, this guy can help you out. He knows everybody. Perfect. So they do kind of circumvent it. A plus. So it kind of, it doesn't actually go through all of them, all the questioning, which I appreciate. They just sum up. So any of the owners didn't know, notice anything off, but many of them complained about the security because stuff has gone missing from a lot of the stores recently. And the two boys, Frank and Joe, stop beside a mannequin to talk about it. And apparently hundreds of feet of wire from the audio video den, electric clocks from the gift shop, wire clippers, electrical supplies, uh, all gone missing. And he's like, oh, wait, that's bomb stuff. I'm about to say <laughs> Everything you need to make a bomb. Right. Right as I was reading it, I'm like, this is bomb stuff. He wait, goes, wait, 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 oh, wait. it's bomb stuff. <laughs> I mean, that is bomb stuff, but it's not like plastic explosives are not something you cobble together from random trash you find. Like, they are a very specific made chemical compound like C4 or whatever. This is not something like, yes, medical mole has the ingredient for plastic explosives. So I don't understand. I, I, I can't tell you So my, my, what I'm getting at going here on is in this it, book. <laughs> if I, my point is, if you have the resources to obtain plastic explosives, which require very specific types of detonators, you would also have those. You wouldn't need to scavenge a detonator parts or whatever from the mall. Yeah, well, Apparently they do, or okay. we'll find out later that it's all a sham. I don't know, Sam. Sure, bring it. All right, I'm sorry. I'm 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 being too skeptical of this book and its rock solid plot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think you are. Okay. So as they're standing there, a flash of movement catches Joe's eye, and something whizzes past him, hitting into the mannequin. It's a silver dart! Exclamation point! I was going to say ninja star, but you're, you're that's better. <laughs> Someone is trying to hit them with darts, and they hurry through the apparently really crowded uh, mall. Wait, wait, clarification. <laughs> so crowded. Is it just a dart, or is it like, oh, it's a poison dart, like from an Indiana Jones movie? It's a poison dart from an Indiana That's Jones so movie. That's so stupid. 
<laughs> but it's with guns, like shooting the guns. Yeah, shoot yeah, like a tranquilizer gun, but shoots a poison dart. Yeah. Which is stupid, because guns already shoot bullets, which are better at yeah, killing well, people. Maybe they didn't want to, like, kill all of the shoppers. So they're running so through this huge crowd I'm, of I'm shoppers. I'm sorry, Danielle, no. <laughs> I don't know. It's a stupid scene. <laughs> I know. And I want to revel in it. You can't just say, oh, they shot darts and they're running through the mall. Like, let's take some time to really appreciate the fact that he chose darts as my assassination I tool. I think we should have more books with darts. The last book we had with darts, I think, was uh, the prom, the queens, the whatever they were, beauty queens. That may be true. I don't know. Was there any poison darts in school on the hill? No. And we, no, I think I that's think, where you're going. I think that no, they had bow, the bow and arrows. The little uh, little fairy people had bows and arrows. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Had, had crossbow. That was it. All right. So I continue. Okay. So darts are occasionally flying after them, but they Great. never hit them, which is good. And they break into a run once they reach a clear section, but they get stopped by a security guard who is whole, like guarding a door and who is promptly felled by a dart. That's how I know they're poisonous. <laughs> this is so stupid. So darts. they make a break for it. <laughs> <laughs> they finally round a corner towards the movie theater section of the They're going to sneak into an R-rated film and hide. <laughs> I think they're old enough. It's okay. So they decide to try and jump him as the gunman heads into the theater. Like if they get into a theater, maybe the gunman will follow them. And they see him waiting around the corner. Like the guy doesn't want to come out into the open now that they're not covered by a bunch of people. And they go in and they buy a ticket and they head into the theater. <laughs> What's the name of the movie? It's a James Bond uh, rerun, like they're doing a bunch of Bond movies. Also, I love the logic of, this man was shooting us in a crowded mall, so he clearly doesn't want to shoot us in a crowded theater because he might be spotted. Well, they're hopeful that what they're going to do, their plan is to wait just inside the door. Oh, so yeah, when he yeah, pops yeah. in, his, like, his eyes haven't adjusted, but theirs have. And so Frank explains this because apparently they have eight seconds, according to Frank. Eight <laughs> Which, seconds until his eyes adjust? Yep. I don't know. He pulls it out. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I don't think it is. I've always needed like two minutes for your eyes to fully adjust. Well, I think adjust enough that you're not going to like, that you're going to be, before you're not surprised that somebody's there jumping you. So, All right. Uh, well, I'm, whatever. I'm not going to bother with this. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I added it in because it made me laugh. <laughs> so they go in, they hide just in the entrance, totally work like a charm. The guy comes in, they jump the guy, grab out the entrance. They almost get the upper hand, but then another man enters with another assumed dart gun. And they book it for the emergency exit because they can no longer get the So their the upper plan hand. was, we're being attacked by people with darts, which can only, to me, say secret agent operative or something because uh-huh. no one else used darts. And they never thought there would be more than one of them. Apparently not. They okay. only saw the one person. Well, they didn't see them until they didn't see anybody. They could be like, we saw like a thousand people in the office and the mall could be shooting at them. I don't know. But they book it for the emergency exit and... Unfortunately, as soon as they step outside of it, they're stopped by a black car that pulls up. Get in, losers. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you for the Mean Girls <laughs> referencing. <Daniel. laughs> Seeing no choice, obviously, they get into the car. But to their surprise, the two dart men who followed them out do not get into the car, and it pulls off without them. The dart men are like, come back here. Is it Mr. Gray in the car? Uh, they express their confusion, and the partition between the front and the back of the car lowers, and it's Arthur Gray! Yeah, okay. Nailed it! <laughs> Who else would it be? We only know, like, four characters. I mean, that, again, I'm not proud of myself for knowing that. I just, I just, yeah, I had to say it. So they demand to know how he found them, and Gray admits that the business cards he gave them earlier were actually plastic, not paper, and have microelectronics inside that are used for GPS tracking. Okay. Couple of things. When their movements became erratic, he figured he'd show up. Okay, another thing now, like several things now. <laughs> I just needed to make sure you got the full picture of what happened. <laughs> okay, first off, 1987, GPS, yeah. not that great. B, 
Do they have the card? Why are they carrying the card on them still? A wallet? I don't know, Sam. I also had that thought when I was reading it. See, how can you tell if their moves were erratic? They, no, their GPS is very talented. Also, I guess D, GPS doesn't work inside. Okay, well, you know what? <laughs> Magic GPS, 80s, he's very fancy guy. Okay, I'm sorry, we'll Mr. Gray. find out. Okay, I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, hogwash. <laughs> I added all that just for you. Thank you, Danielle, for, for making me more upset. <laughs> You're welcome. So they argue with Gray as he drives, wanting to know what the heck's going on, and as Frank reaches up through the d- divider to shake the man's shoulder to get some answers, the divider suddenly whirs back up, and Gray apologizes, telling them it's a security feature as he lowers it back down. Um, but he is surprised, <laughs> he says, because according to <laughs> because according to their files, Joe is the hot-headed one. And they're like, files? What, what are we? What? 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 <laughs> You've been profiled files? by the secret government agency as... <laughs> The newest inductees into the agent kid detective program. All the best kid detectives eventually grow up and enter agency. Nancy Drew, Cynthia uh, Brown. I, I don't. The boxcar kids are they kid? Detect- I don't know. I don't know. Any kid Frankie detective. Munez. Frankie Munez was he a kid detective? Wasn't he? Oh, wasn't he, he, he was a secret side. agent. Agent Cody Banks. Yes. Yeah. He wasn't a kid detective though. He was a, a secret agent <laughs> child. Yeah, but he gets tagged by a secret government agency to like. Yeah, but find he was a spy. Out. I guess. I guess they're spy training. Okay, maybe he was. Maybe he was like a, a toddler detective, and they tapped him early. <laughs> Uh, so. This is the, I love this new fiction where like the government is harvesting for its secret agent ranks from boy detectives. Like this is why kid detectives are a thing, so the government can like vet them. Absolutely, I'm actually pretty sure there is at least one book where Nancy gets pulled into working with this agency as well. This agency continues past this book. Okay, perfect. What would you call this? The the the, the KDA kid detective no, agency. No, it's the net. It's the network. You heard that earlier in the description that you read. Oh, I did. I did, I, I forgot that because that's a dumb name. Yeah, it is. I want a better name, like Kid Detective Agency, or... I got it. Kid Initiative Detective Agency. Kid, for short. Technically, these aren't kids. And secondly, they, like... They're not taking kids. They're just specifically talking to the Hardys. Danielle, (laughs) let me make up the acronym for my Kid Detective... How about... Okay, fine. Kid Initiative Detective School. Kids, for short. There we go. I made it work. You're welcome, world. Well, okay, so Gray finally tells them he's connected to an intelligence aid- agency and he's collecting kids. I don't Kid know. Kid Intelligence <laughs> Detective Service. Why did I think of that? Oh my gosh, it's much better. All right. So he doesn't name it. It's called the network. He doesn't name it. It's a dumb name. <laughs> That's not- why he's like, I'm embarrassed by the name. It's stupid. Uh, it's not, it, he says it's not one of the common ones. He's like, oh, they said like CIA. And he's like, nothing so crude. The network does more delicate information gathering. Which means Which war crimes. Which is not true. <laughs> Maybe. So Frank's like, so your story about knowing my dad is a lie, and I imagine your name on the cards is a lie, too. And Mr. Gray tells them that it's close to his code name, which is Gray Man. Why? Why make your code name? That's, that's like James Bond. And everybody's James Bond. It's dumb. Don't do that. I know. It's so good. Like, Don't do that. You're, the network sucks. <laughs> And the world import-export business does actually exist. It's just a cover company for the network, and sometimes their dad helps them. So not exactly a lie. So why is he telling all these, like, hot-headed He's young adults all the secrets? <laughs> He's telling him because their dad has called in some favors to keep his family safe and out of sight from whatever is going on, which we're going to find out about more in just a moment. Do they really have the pull to do that? I mean, like, this seems like an abuse of your position. I don't know. I've Like, their father, Fenton... 
Again, I, I think he's a detective. He's a detective, but he does a lot of things. Like security. He does more security, I think, in this round of books. Yeah. So, I don't know. He knows people, Sam. Sure. All right. Fine. Whatever. Okay, fine. I'm sure he has some past history. Maybe he was in military previously, or I don't... I'm sure they get more into the dad's story in this, and I just don't recall it. All right. I'm sorry. We're like five pages into this book. It's mostly my fault. We're not. We're halfway through. Oh, all right. Fine. Never mind. Through. No well, apologies. I'll take it back. We are, we are only five, maybe five pages into this book, but we're halfway through my notes, so we should be done soon. Oh, that's impressive. I told you I split this book in half. They're only like 186 pages. Danielle... I know you split this book in half, but we have never not been able to stretch, like, the thinnest amount of content <laughs> into two hours worth of nonsense. Well, we'll get there. So, Frank asks what his dad is doing, and Gray seems to admit that they don't fully know yet, but they're looking into it. But it seems to revolve around the Walker campaign. They think the bomb was aimed at the Hardys. Apparently, their dad is head of security for Walker's campaign, which, sure. I, so wait, I'm wait, sure wait, you wait. would pull your some guy from Bayport to be your head of security. Was he the head of security for the entire campaign or just the Bayport uh, event? I don't know the answer to that. They literally just say for Walker's campaign. And they pulled a detective to be the head of security. Yeah, again, he might be more into security stuff than just detecting. I'm pretty sure he was just a detective he in the just, previous He doesn't just detect. He secures. <laughs> He's like, but I don't know. They don't give enough explanation in the halfway no, point they do of this not, book Danielle. to tell you. <laughs> We have, like, no idea what the dad's job is. As far as I know, he's just a security consultant, and he's working on Walker's campaign. Maybe the duration of it. Fine. <laughs> but that's why he's been so hush-hush about it. So that's why they have he hasn't been telling his kids about what's been going on. But it's turned into a bigger job than expected because Walker's been pushing his anti-terrorism campaign. And certain terrorism groups weren't happy that their dad was digging into them, and Fenton Hardy got lucky and got a line on a group that nobody's been able to crack. The Assassins. Okay. All right. All right. First off, terrible name. The Assassins. <laughs> the Network. Why call ourselves just the generic evil group? <laughs> I mean, Evil Incorporated. Yeah. Which is the name of the second book of the series, by the way. I hate everything about these names. As someone who likes <laughs> making up goofy names, this offends me deeply in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, I, I'm so mad I forgot what my point was. <laughs> <laughs> the Assassins. Uh, oh, 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 so these groups, these terrorist groups are angry enough about a potential candidate that hasn't won yet, that might win, that's pushing a terrorism agenda. They're going to try to blow that person up before he gets elected? Well, at this point, it seems like they're mad at Fenton Hardy for digging into them and finding out more information than he should have, because he's real good at his job, apparently. So they're thinking that they, the assassins were trying to kill these kids so that Fenton would stop. Why just kill Fenton, then? Looking into them. I, I think it's just, like, go after his family as opposed to go after him. I don't that's know, That's so Sam. inefficient. If he's the one with the knowledge, okay. then kill I'm him tell with you the right knowledge. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, because of where we end this this part of the story, is that it is the most inefficient way to do anything ever. <laughs> okay, great. As long as I'm – we're clear on that. I'm, I'm not saying it's not happening. It does I'm not saying, get more efficient. <laughs> it's, it's Yeah. It's like if you want to stop the man who knows all about you from knowing all about you, kill the man who knows all about you. Don't kill his children because then he's going to be more incentivized to use knowledge he has about you to take you down. Yes. That's mentioned later in the story. Morons. All right. Let's go. <laughs> So, this group originates <laughs> – I forgot about this till I just read my notes. Uh-oh. The group originates from the Crusades. It's, oh, Danielle. Oh, <laughs> if this is about them finding the Templars, boy, do I have something to tell you. No, it's not. Okay, because that's basically the Assassin's Creed video game series. 
Yeah, well, I mean, this is 87 when Way before that, I know. Which is, the, which is like, whoa, did the Assassin's Creed script from the Hardy Boys? That would have been exciting. I mean, arguably, we don't know a whole lot about the Assassins, but we know that they originated from the Crusades and have stayed in business in terrorism ever since. That's not how terrorism works. I mean, okay, terrorism well, that's is how terrorism modern. works in this in 1987 in the Hardy Boys universe. I'm just saying, terrorism is kind of like a modern concept, really, which relies on our current globalist infrastructure I'm sure it's to work. Changed over the years to like you know small terrorism to now larger scale. I'm terrorism. just saying, like I don't know if like I mean again, I'm not a historian, and as we know from the opening of this podcast, my grasp of history is <laughs> shaky at best. But I always imagine that like. What we think of as a terrorist group, like the idea of using terrorism as a form of warfare is a fairly modern – maybe it's not – I don't know. Maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I'm just wrong. Seems crazy that this terrorist group has been terrorizing since the Middle Ages. Oh, well, they have, Sam. Since the Crusades. I'm sorry. The Crusades. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> they So they pick the car to bomb because their dad found out about a major assassin project, which is a series of terrorist attacks across the United States. So they did a terrorist and attack to cover up the terrorist attacks. Absolutely. So anyway, their <laughs> mom and aunt. <laughs> no! <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just go with it, Sam. The whole point of terrorism is to get attention for your cause through terror. So his, their dad found out about it, and they, that would be great for them. More attention. <laughs> well, I think it's because it hasn't happened yet, so uh, they're afraid it's going to be able to be, it's gonna be stopped. Got it. Yeah. So their mom and aunt are off to some secret destination. So they've already left the house. Like I said, they do not talk to their mom because they do not make it to, to Tahiti. The mom. All right. <laughs> yeah, wherever they end up. And the Hardy brothers are on their the way. Hardy brothers. The Hardy brothers. The Hardy boys are uh, on their way to. But they're so much older now. They're the Hardy men. <laughs> that was going to be a show for a hot minute with like Tom Cruise and somebody else Wait, that never got a, made. Like a reboot of the, the Hardy Bitty. Brothers? The Hardy Bros? Absolutely. It was when Nancy Drew came out. I remember a couple of years ago when Nancy Drew became like a big TV show. No, I don't remember when Nancy Drew became a TV Okay, well, it became a very popular TV show and several movies and they were going to do The Hardy Men. Anyway. Love it. Whole other topic. <laughs> Danielle, you know the Nancy Drew like TV series slash movies are now on the list for this podcast for you to do. Oh, sure. Okay, I actually did not watch the entirety of the Nancy Drew TV series. I know, I'm sorry, everybody. But, ooh, I should totally do that little movie. There, there are a couple go. good movies. Yeah, I was gonna say, you got it. Yeah, yeah. You're Yay. welcome. Okay. No yeah. more decoms for a while. Hardy boy, <laughs> Nancy Drew run. Uh, so the Hardy brothers slash boys are on their way to South Carolina, and the boys don't take this news well because they are wanting to stay on the case in Bayport. Guys, you were never on the case to begin with. <laughs> okay, they're, they put themselves on the case, Sam. <laughs> they were accused by an incompetent officer and talked to some random people in a mall, and that's about it. Well, they're trying. It's only been like a day. Okay, not a day, but since I started. <laughs> So Joe starts trying to get out of the car, I guess, while it's moving. And with all the racket, Mr. Gray pulls over along a semi-deserted stretch of road to tell him basically to, like, suck it up, buttercup, you're going to South Carolina. And as they're talking, a telephone repair van that had been following behind them picks up speed, swerving to the shoulder ahead of them, and a man with an Uzi submachine gun pops out, firing into the window, sh window shield. Windshield. Windshield. <laughs> Do they say Uzi submachine gun in the book? Absolutely. I'm glad he specified what kind of Uzi it was, because I was worried. <laughs> That's why I put it in there, because it made me laugh. <laughs> Great. 
So no worries, though. The bulletproof glass of the windshield saves them. They're fine. <laughs> just ignore the Uzi. Cool. And does the Uzi never try to shoot the tires? Uh, no. So it just shoots the window and then they kind of like buzz off. And as they head out, it ends up turning back around because it realizes, oh, we didn't murder everybody in the driver's seat. And it becomes a huge car chase going up the road. And the police never become aware of this shootout. They're in the middle of nowhere. Okay. So Mr. Gray gives Joe a gun to shoot out the back with like a magic gun port appearing through the slit in a window that somehow doesn't cause bullets to come in. I don't know how it quite works. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's like the car is using... So the assassins from, you know, the Crusades, they're still using, like, that kind of technology with arrow slits in the car. Well, I mean, these aren't the assassins from the Crusade. This is Mr. Gray. Yeah, no. But, like, to fight the assassins, you gotta use assassin-level technology. Oh, yeah. It's like there's a gun slit in the car that also does not allow bullets to come into right, the it's car. Right, it's arrow slit, just like in castles. Absolutely. And Joe is super hardcore and goes for their heads like he's shooting out the windshield. <laughs> and Mr. Gray is like, hey, you might want to leave him alive for questioning. And so Joe aims for the tires. and Does he murder them? He definitely tries in the beginning. I was like, hardcore Joe, I know that they, like, Killed your girlfriend, but come on. <laughs> well, he misses the point. He doesn't actually kill anyone. Well, he shoots at the windshield, but it doesn't, I don't know if it doesn't go through or if it doesn't hit him or whatever, but then he aims for the tires, he pops the tires, but another car appears in the interim. Okay. And he gets them too, and Gray is calling for backup as they speed away. And they finally lose the cars, and they make their way back to the Hardy Boys' house, where um, in a few minutes, they're supposed the to be The safest place to be, where the terrorists know you live. Definitely will not be there. And they're supposed to be picked up by agents and ferried to South Carolina. And the code phrase, they're not supposed to leave the house, and the code phrase is, the gray man sent me, which they're not supposed to open up the door unless somebody says that, which, eh, meh. That's not a great code <laughs> phrase. And don't you have, like, a call and response to that? So, you're like, you ask them a question and they tell you the right answer? Probably. But my favorite part is that, like, it's he says it'll be a few minutes, they'll be here shortly, and then he leaves. And I was like, or you could wait with them First and make all, sure they get picked up. Yeah. Nothing about these hardy boys, these hardy brothers, speaks their willingness to comply with your instructions. No, they literally just tried to get out of the car. Joe was, like, gonna, like, duck and yeah. run out of the car yeah. while it was moving. <laughs> Second, the terrorists know where they live, so they're not safe there alone. Crazy, man. All very dumb. The network is garbage. <laughs> so they agree to hang tight, but as the gray man leaves, again, question mark. They leave. They promptly, they promptly decide to head to London, which is where Mr. Gray had said earlier um, when they were discussing that he is going to go pick up the next assassin's lead that he had gotten. So he was going to leave the area. So their plan, their, their moronic plan is a steward agent told us there's a lead somewhere in London. We can figure that out. Oh, it gets better, Sam. It gets better. Wait for it. Okay. <laughs> so their plan is just to go to London and, like, hope they bumble nope. into it a It is secret... definitely not. <laughs> okay. Are they going to try to follow Mr. Gray? Like, tail him? You're going to find out very shortly. Do they, put a, do they put his tracker back on and hack the tracker so they can track him? I This book moves so quickly that you will literally find out in like one to two sentences. But I'm so much fun <laughs> guessing, Danielle. <laughs> okay. So Frank hacks into the airport reservation computer. <laughs> his friend showed him how, and he hates hacking, but it's for a good cause, so he's willing this to do it this one time. right? Yes! Weren't we're air, airlines, computers on the internet? Do they, did you, do they on like... Is this like war games? This is like when the war games era. When the it must have been because 1980s, this book was written when it's based, so it must have some kind of, like, it, they must have had a reservations computer system. But, like, the internet was nascent then, right? I, yeah, I don't know, Sam. Maybe they had high tech tol technology at the airport. All right, whatever. Nonsense, but go on. 
So they're looking at the reservation list, and they see it's the only flight that's leaving is the same flight as Mr. Gray, according to the passenger list. So wait, they see Mr. Gray's name in that flight? Yes. Why did he use your name to book your reservations? It's his business name, like his name that he goes by, Arthur Gray or whatever. That's like his name. Use a different name. Use many different (laughs) names. That's the whole point of having aliases. Oh, That is his alias, I think. It's just like that's the one he often uses to do stuff is Arthur Gray. Don't don't want to use the same alias every time because people know that you're alias. Okay, but- I mean, who's, do we know who's, no, nobody knows who his alias is except for the Hardy Boys right now. Apparently has a freaking business card that gives it out, so there you go. Yeah, but it's cover, like he pretends that he works for this business. All right, all right, uh, whatever. Point is. So as far as anybody knows. They magically hack into an airport reservation system, see Mr. Gray's name, like, that flight's going to London, and so there we go. Yes. So they decide to book tickets on that flight. And so Bayport has a direct flight to London. I imagine it's something nearby Bayport, like New York or something. Oh, is New York nearby Bayport? I'm pretty sure. It's on the east, eastern seaboardy area. Sure, whatever. I don't know if so I don't they know, know which airport to hack gets. into then. Um, Sam, whatever's big major airport close to them. And also, if this I is New York, there are the many book. flights to London. <laughs> okay, Sam, I don't know. Maybe it is out of Bayport. Maybe it's something more local to them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know you don't it does know not say such and such airport, I'm pretty sure. All right, fine. I'll like <laughs> Listeners, if you have deeply read this book and can remember what airport they leave out of, if it's mentioned in the book, feel free to tell me. Great. All so right. anyway, the they get to the airport, Sam, and they're behind someone. There's a woman, like an older woman in a wheelchair with an elderly companion. And back in 1987, they did a search of the person in the wheelchair, but they don't do a search of the companion because, as you remember, they just, like, used to be able yeah. to walk people to their gate. <laughs> yeah, airports were not, like, locked down in the pre-TSA right. era. Exactly. So they, like, uh, they're kind of joking. The Hardy Boys are kind of joking about, like, well, we know how to get through security is, like, the guy never gets checked. That's the companion with them. To get, what are they bringing through security? Do they have a bunch of Uzis on them? No. They're going to buy t- So why do they have to get through security? They're just going to buy tickets. What are you t- who are you talking the about? The Hardy Boys. Who's they? They already have tickets. They're getting, yeah, so why do they need to get through security? security? They're just going through security like everybody yeah. does on so a plane? Yeah, so what's this whole conversation about? We know how to get through security. Oh, they're talking about like if you wanted to like get something onto a plane. Oh, so they're foreshadowing. Yes, but also just commenting to each other. Like, oh, no, it's foreshadowing. Like, I got it. All right. So, I thought they were talking about, like, now we have to get through security at this airport at this very moment. No. Got it. So they do. They go through security. They The person in the wheelchair is on their flight with the companion. And they get, into, get onto yes. the flight. And Frank has decided to reserve tickets next to the great man. I don't know. For kicks and giggles. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> he doesn't have purpose. And they're like, hey, you're here. <laughs> like, and so what he notices is he sits down. They're all getting in their seats. The gray man's like, hey, what are you doing here? And obviously they can't really do much. I guess, I guess he could have done something. He does not do anything. They're all on the flight. And Frank notices that the companion to the wheelchair person who wasn't supposed to get onto the flight, you know, is just supposedly dropping off his wheelchair person. He is on the flight with the wheelchair person. He's like, well, that's weird. And instead of doing literally anything, like yeah. telling someone, also, <laughs> they just sit tight. <laughs> why would he assume the wheelchair person, the, the attendant, isn't going with his charge? Because at the security, uh, when they were going through security, the attendant is like, they ask for his ticket, and he's like, oh, I'm just walking her to the gate. Like, I, I'm not going through. So they don't do a search why or that anything on buy it. Just a like, too? I don't know the answer to that, Sam. I think they were just saying, I think, because obviously, as you said, they're up to something. Yeah. I think he was just doing that so they wouldn't search him. Wait, so they say- And they were all like, oh, go through, oh, it's fine. So they search you if you have a ticket, but not if you don't have a ticket. That is what is implied during the scene. Amazing. 
I mean, I don't, I don't know, know if that's, that's true or not, but like, yeah, it, sounds I don't know. it sounds wild. <laughs> I think it was probably more true in the 80s and 90s. I that's did some fair. traveling in the 90s, but I was little. I don't remember. Sure. Frank takes the aisle seat to keep an eye on their questionable friends. And sure enough, the elderly companion makes his way to the bathroom. And when he exits, he's 60 years younger. I use a lot of exclamation points in my notes for this book. (laughs) (laughs) It's very surprising. (laughs) He's got mace in one hand and a grenade in the other. Why why mace? I don't say it because the the scene requires it. I don't know. Like, if I'm a terrorist, my weapons of choice are mace, a close-range weapon that is not terribly effective, and a grenade. Yeah, I know. It's wild. Like, nothing Why else. Why not like, just a could, gun? Yeah, he could have brought literally anything on the he plane. They did not search him. He could have brought his dumbass dark gun on the plane. Who knows? So he calls out to everybody on the plane that he's taking control of it in the name of the assassins. Sorry, so funny every time. So Frank Frank bursts from his seat, karate chopping the hijacker. What? And the the pin grenade flies from his hand, but the mace hand sprays the mace and it gets into Frank's face. But it's fine. Joe jumps forward and like football style tackles the guy and knocks him out. Unfortunately, just as they get the upper hand, the wheelchair bound woman, who is not wheelchair bound, springs forth going for the grenade and a fight ensues. And the woman takes hold of a flight attendant as a hostage, telling them to drop everything or she'll hurt her. She'll get pepper sprayed, which will, like, really irritate <laughs> she has her a knife. eyes. She has a knife. She has a knife under her oh, clothes. Oh, so somehow. why did pepper spray guy not have a knife? I don't know, Sam. So Gray steps forward, telling the assassin, uh, like, I'm an American official. I'll offer to switch myself as a hostage for the flight attendant. That's you know, stupid. leave her alone. She's not involved in any of this, but distracted. Like, he managed to distract them. Frank launches himself at the woman, doing a flying kick, and he downs her. I mean, a I guess flying planes kick were really big in an <laughs> airplane. I was going to say, this cavity's <laughs> like, huge. real big. <laughs> Yeah, biggest plane ever. <laughs> Amazing. Ceilings <laughs> as tall as a chapel's. I guess he's like diving over the other seats. I don't know. Maybe Wild. they're in a galley area. I mean, if he tried to do a flying kick over and over like the seats, he'd be clipped by the overhead storage bins immediately. Yeah, I have to assume maybe it's done in the galley. Like the guy comes out of the bathroom and then announces to everybody he's taking over the plane. So maybe it's all in that back section where there's sure. a little bit more room. Whatever. <laughs> but unfortunately, before they can get the woman fully tied up, she breaks the false tooth in her mouth with the cyanide capsule and dies dramatically. The sure. guy's still alive, though. Yeah, the got it. Conscious guy. This is why those are not popular in real life. <laughs> is there a better, if you want to kill yourself and everyone else with you, a bomb. A bomb works. Well, that was what the grenade was for that was not really. Yeah, pack the wheelchair full of plastic explosives. You clearly have a supplier. <laughs> Apparently. So, meanwhile, they have secretly rerouted the plane so that the assassin overlords, I guess, don't know that the they didn't make it and that they're not on their way to, I don't know, like I think they said Libya or something. <laughs> So they have rerouted the plane so that the assassins don't know they didn't actually come near the plane? Yes. Won't they know when the plane doesn't show up? Eventually, they will, but that gives them some time to, like, kind of figure out what they need to do and get people off the plane. Okay. So they end up uh, landing at an RAF base in England where the passengers kind of just chill until all this is over. They're like, we're going to keep the passengers here for a while. (laughs) For questioning? I guess, but the Hardys and Mr. Gray. The Hardys. The Hardys and Mr. Gray get to leave on a helicopter with the passed out hijacker to London. And you think that they just keep the Hardys at the RAF base, but yeah, they don't. Leave them behind. <laughs> and or maybe, I don't know, 
take the pass out hijacker and cuff him or something? They do cuff him, I think. Okay. They do. They cuff him and put him on the plane. Okay. All right. Fine. Okay. I just thought they just like dragged his unconscious body through the streets. No, I mean, they do just drag his unconscious body, but he is cuffed. And he wakes up at some point. I don't know if he wakes up on the helicopter or not. So they land at the British intelligence agency and go straight for interrogation. And yeah, for reasons, yeah, got it. yeah, the Hardys are allowed in on the interrogation. Why? I don't know. <laughs> oh, there's everywhere those Hardys. They're like cockroaches. Take get rid of them. <laughs> so they don't get any information at first. The guy's not talking, even when Joe jumps him because he's like, did you kill my girlfriend? This he's is like, why no, you don't let non-professionals in, in on the interrogation. <laughs> They're going to wreck it. Hot-headed 20-year-olds. Yeah. Until the lead interrogator comes in, who is apparently a guy with a little uh, magic truth serum that he pushes sure. into his That's muscles. a spy thing. That's why not. Veins, I mean, in I books know. and movies, not in real life. <laughs> Absolutely. So once he's under the truth serum, they ask him about the code words for an apparent safe house that's in the area. And though he seems to want to tell them because he's under the truth serum, he's been conditioned to not speak about certain things and it causes kind of a little fit to happen. Does he not have a cyanide tooth too? Yeah, they already took it out, I think, earlier. So they switch gears to the hijacking, and the man tells them that there were four of them. Two of them got on the plane, two of them were sent somewhere else. It was a rush job, but they were given a description of a man to eliminate, which I think might be the gray man. It was a little unclear in the text. And it was okay to destroy the entire plane as needed. So far, so good. Makes sense to me. And when they ask him who gave him the instructions, he's like, well, it was via phone, and I never saw the guy. But his name, when they ask him, was, after much ado, was Al Rusasa. Okay. Well, this is unfortunate. Uh, I know. <laughs> it's not great. No. <laughs> gonna, 87. I'm going to move on right past that. Thank you very much. <laughs> So Al Rusasa is a heavy hitter in the initial – I can call him Al if you'd prefer. Come wherever you want, Danielle. We all, it's fine. It's the way the book is written. We're just presenting it the book. Is. We're not endorsing its use of names. Yes. 80s and 90s were a rough era, as we know from some of our previous media. Yeah, true. So Al Rusasa is a heavy hitter on the international terrorism market scene, and it means something much bigger is going on in Bayport. It is a code name, though. It means the bullet – like literal translation. And they say that wherever the bullet is aimed, the target is dead, quote unquote. That's how bullets work, yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna go raid <laughs> They're gonna go raid the safe house is what they decide Wherever to do. Wherever the bomb at the end explodes, that's what explodes. <laughs> They're just saying that he always hits his target, I think is the concept. He's not a bad shot. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey. He's he's a dead eye. Yep. Dead on target. Target? Mm. Anyway, meanwhile, Gray leads the Hardys to an empty office and hands off some new clothes and gear to change into after the fight, since they're, you know, bloody or whatever. I don't know. But bad news bears for our heroes. When they go to leave, they're locked into the office. Oh, womp womp. Why even bring them in through all of this? You're just going to, like, lock them up anyway. Just don't. Don't involve them. Put them into the <laughs> RAF custody, whatever. I know. Like, like it wouldn't have gotten out of military custody. And they would have, but that'd be a whole different story. At least would have, like, tried at that point. So Gray shows up outside their door and is like, uh, you're going to have to hang out here till after the raid. It is not safe for two random kids to be, like, hanging out with all the adults with gunfire. So, you know, hang tight. We'll be back. Sure. And so after much ado, they realize they try. there's a whole scene of them trying to get out of the office. And they realize finally that the ceiling tiles pry free. And they manage to climb over to the next office and escape. Yeah. Okay. So... This secure government facility did not secure the drop ceiling. Correct. Bang up job, network. (laughs) It is. So they catch up just as the team is leaving, and they 
grab onto the truck. Like, it's a big lorry truck. And they seem to just grab onto the back of it and, like, hang tight. As far as I can tell. This is like Back to the Future when he uses a skateboard behind the car, right? Yes, 100% like that. They have no skateboard. They're just, like, gliding on their heels. Uh, Well, they're not gliding on their heels. I think they're, like pull up and they're like gra- grasp onto the bumper or something it's a little unclear that's very uncomfortable and dangerous <laughs> it is and they do talk about that a little bit in the story like luckily it's a short ride i guess it's not too far down the road and they make it and they almost fall off but they're fine sure i mean at this point they can just do anything apparently yes they can of course it's the hardy boys so hardy brothers hardy men so they, <laughs> magicians. they pull up through a rundown neighborhood, and though some of the houses are empty, there are, like, construction workers, mail person, etc. Like, there's obviously stuff going about its business here. And as they pull up to a specific house, suddenly everyone in the area, the construction workers, the mail people, the, the woman in the corner house, like, everybody turns into an operative and starts shooting up this one house, completely destroying it. That's excessive. <laughs> Well, it's the Assassin's Playground, and supposedly the Assassins, like a lot of high-ranking Assassins, are supposedly in this house right now, so they're trying to, like, kill them, All right, all right. The gray man sees the Hardys, kind of like as all the firefighting starts, and he pulls them off the back of the truck and throws them into the van to protect them. And when the dust settles, they realize, after they go in to search the building, that none of the Assassins are inside. Bum, bum, bum! And they bring the Hardys to search, too, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Oh! Why? (laughs) These... These man children, leave them at home. <laughs> uh, so they're all inside, and it's discovered that they've been digging an underground tunnel system out of the safe house when they find a trap door. And Gray goes in to pull it open. And just as Gray is about to pull it open, Frank, Frank is like, No, 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 no. It's probably booby trapped, remembering all the like bombs, their penchant for bombs. And it is, it is, it's booby trapped. Of course, it's booby trapped. <laughs> Because I'm a moron. This is why I don't bring novice greenhorns onto your secure spy well, mission. Mr. Gray was the one who pulled the booby trap door open. Frank was the one who said, hey, do oh, not pull that. I'm sorry. I thought Frank would, I would get that mixed up. No, Frank would never. Mr. Gray, you've just cast so many more aspersions on the network. It sounds like even more competent than I originally thought it was based on the name. But See, that's why they brought the Hardys in, because otherwise they just randomly pull open that's all the doors. That's a real indictment of your organization if the Hardys <laughs> are, like, the best people in your organization. <laughs> Crazy. So Frank is okay. Uh, he he manages to he manages to run towards Gray. He like runs at him, trying to grab him before you know anything happens. He pulls Gray a little bit, but he doesn't get him far enough away. So Gray isn't doing so hot, but Frank is okay, more or less. Oh, I'm so happy that Frank is the one who didn't die, not the trained spy. Yeah, I mean, otherwise there wouldn't be more stories. <laughs> And as they assess his condition, the building starts to collapse, and they all, with the bomb and everything, and they all run outside, making out just as the building falls to pieces around them. And Joe says, I'll tell you one thing, they'll never call that a safe house again. Boo! (laughs) A man died! (laughs) He's not dead, he's just hurt. Many people died in the gunfire, right? Nobody's, uh, well, no, because the gunfire, there was no gunfire back. It was just gunfire onto the building well, trying to kill the, the assassins. Well, if the bomb didn't kill Mr. Gray, that pun would have. There. <laughs> that was funny in a terrible way. So their care is taken over by a guy named Perkins as Gray is wheeled into security and they get cleaned up and presented to the head of British intelligence. The head of British intelligence with these two. The head of British intelligence. These two bumpkins. His name, his name is Sir Nigel Folio. Of course Folier, it is. Folio. 
Is there any is there any stereotype this book won't indulge? For you? I don't know. What did I open us last name? And no, it's very set in its ways. Fabulous. Okay, so Sir Nigel is like, nice to meet you. What do I do with you? And the Hardys are like, yeah, nice to meet you too. We have some questions. And Sir Nigel's like, ah, sure. Why not? I'll answer some questions. Why? You're an intelligence. <laughs> um, don't answer. Don't answer anything. <laughs> The assassins, apparently the tunnel runs about three blocks out from that house they found. And so the assassins have escaped for now, but the city is pretty sealed up and they're keeping an eye on all any exits. So City's they don't famously think that, easy to seal up. I know, especially London. And so they think the assassins are probably going to have to lay low for quite a while because you know, they're not going to be able to get out of the country easily. Or the city, easily. The people from that London flight are finally home, just FYI. So yay. Uh, sure, yay. whatever. <laughs> And Alarusasa has been dealt a blow by the assassins not completing their job on the plane, whatever that means. Sure, they miss killing one operative. Great. That is taken out <laughs> of the game by being injured anyway, so. Well, they seem to suggest that, like, maybe the guy was waiting for those two people to make it like they needed those two people but then they also told them just to blow up the plane if they yeah. needed to so there was a high chance they were gonna die anyway so like if so, you're hinting your entire evil plan on the two guys you told to go on a suicide mission not a good evil plan yes exactly so sir nigel then decides to send them home because that's what they wanted to go home anyways on the condition that they absolutely never speak of anything that they heard outside of the anything These that's happened are, outside are, of are the worst pinky swear you won't tell our government <laughs> secrets to everybody <laughs> And they should be relatively safe there since none of the assassins could leave London. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure I mean, that's totally true. I'm sure these don't have cells in other places and this I is know. these one group that's it. <laughs> like if they just had a bombing there, you think everybody's left the area, I guess. Well, we have that one bomb and then <laughs> they're over here now. They can't be in two places at once, so you're safe. <laughs> Crazy. So before they can leave the office, they're like, great, we get to go home to Bayport. That's exactly what we wanted to do anyway, because we wanted to figure out stuff that was going on there. So as long as we're not going to South Carolina, everything's copacetic with us. But before they can leave the office, a voice yells outside the door, demanding to see Sir Nigel, and the Hardys quickly realize... It's their dad! It's, it's their dad! Yeah. <laughs> Good call, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Of course he is. <laughs> the Hardys panic and they tell Sir Nigel they definitely cannot run into their dad as they are 100% supposed to be in South Carolina because that's where their dad wanted them. They're going to be Nigel so grounded. He's going to spank us so, so hard. They don't, they don't say that part, but that's the kind of a conversation they have later, which is sort of funny. Ugh. Not that. This is why they should be in South Carolina. Like, right. They're supposed to be in South Carolina. And if Nigel doesn't want anyone to know what went down outside of Bayport, then they definitely shouldn't be spotted by their father because he's going to insist on knowing everything. And somehow that convinces Sir Nigel. Why, why would he not he want this to be known? Nothing bad happened. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, oh, you really messed up, Nigel. Like, no, everything <laughs> went – we found their safe house. We dealt them a blow. One agent was non-mortally injured in the event. So I think it was a success. Yes. Well, I don't think they're – I mean, I don't know how involved the dad is at all the safe house stuff, but I don't think he'd want his kids in London because the company sure. couldn't figure well, out how to get them to South that? Carolina. Well, I think I think Sir Nigel's like, yeah, it's probably good that your father doesn't know we screwed up this bad and we'll send you back to Bayport and he'll never know. <laughs> well, I will say they messed up big by bringing them along in all the adventures when they could have just left them anywhere. Exactly. So he ushers them out the back way is the point of this. They do not meet their father in this office. Fine. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> So I don't know what their long game is because the dad's supposed to be back in a week for that big rally that apparently is still happening at the mall, even though there was a bombing. <laughs> that might change your schedule, but that's just me. 
Uh, so you think in a week their dad's going to know that they stayed home. Maybe they're going to go stay at a hotel for the duration. I don't know. And as they're chatting about what to do, Frank suddenly gets very worked up. He reminds Joe that the guy that they interrogated said that Al Rusasa was supposed to be in America to run that big terror campaign, you know, across America. Terror across America. So that, they can't be in uh, Bell, in Bellport, whatever. Because <laughs> Bayport. Bay, they can't be in Bayport because the terrorist organization has a whole plan to do a bunch of stuff in America. Like that Again, the logic is flawed. As far as they know, Al Rusasa is supposedly in London. Perhaps I don't know the answer to that question. All right, whatever. This is what it says. I do not understand quite what it's what it's trying to say, but basically, he was supposed to be in America to run the big terror campaign, and that the timing of the campaign was thrown off a little bit by a special job, meaning the bombing, supposedly. Right. And Frank is like, Joe, don't you see? We were all at the mall for a dress rehearsal of Philip Walker's appearance this Saturday. What if the bomb was a dress rehearsal too? What if Al Rusasa was practicing how we'd kill Philip Walker? Then he's a moron because you don't dress rehearsal bombs. Because oh, then they're looking for bombs. Yeah, that's how you scare what your target until he just cancels his plans. Like, I'm like going to Bayport. There are bombs there. Yeah, and that's where we're ending, Sam. What if it's a dress rehearsal for killing Philip Walker? If the oh, next no. part isn't immediately them going, no, that's a dumb thing I've ever heard in my life, and the oh, book no, that's ends. that's the end of the chapter. That's the cliffhanger. <laughs> if, the, the, if the next page isn't, that's a dumb thing I've heard in my life, and the book immediately ends, I will be so angry. <laughs> I can guarantee you that's not the next chapter. <laughs> oh, hardy boys, why? I skimmed ahead to see if I should end here or in the next chapter or two and decided this was the best It's a good place ending. to end, Danielle. It's the dumbest place, <laughs> I've, the dumbest logic I've heard yet, and that's saying something in this book. I actually read through it a few times because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Bomb dress rehearsal morons. Ah, good times. I that's, love the Hardy Boys. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's like a lot of dumb fun. It's very stupid. It's so fun. I used to have a bunch of these. Like they used to, they uh, used to sell them in like packs of three, like three books in one giant volume. Uh-huh. And I would stick them in the bathroom and I would like read them <laughs> get through like the entire series that way. That sounds very typical. I know. Good times. Well, thank you for sharing, Danielle. I'm on tenterhooks to hear how they will resolve. Well, I guess I was going to say the dumbest terrorist organization ever, but they're fighting the dumbest law enforcement agencies ever. So really, it's a coin flip who's going to win. I know. In comparison, the Hardy Boys are brilliant. Which is, in this book, really saying something. <laughs> they're so good. They just get progressively better, too, as they find their footing in this like crazy new world that they're building i'm excited for next week that was like this isn't a john grisham book that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> but they're quick and fun and yeah. like it's very they sound typical very like 80s digestible 90s, yeah. and fun and like they, they move so yeah. quickly you, i guess when you read it you don't have time to be like puzzled over any of the inanity because it's like oh just move around past that on the next thing <laughs> yeah no absolutely you're just like oh what and then the next page something else that catches your attention well if anyone out there has a better name for the network as if that's very hard that they want to share with us <laughs> or to add someone else to our kid detective recruitment pool you can tell us about that at bookretorts.com you can also tweet instagram or facebook us at book retorts and if you want to support danielle on my own detective agency child detective agency <laughs> we've you, got so many things going yeah if you want to support our child detective agency you can do so at patreon.com slash book retorts we'll solve your case Patreon. badly we will may not solve your case at all badly <laughs> <laughs> uh, double your money back no guarantee <laughs> 
Isn't this the second time we've done a detective agency? We were just going to be really sarcastic. Right, right. Yeah, we did that one. This is a child detective agency, Danielle. We had to cover all our bases. It's like the junior version of our preview. We made enough money on Patreon to start the actual detective agency, and now we're doing our junior version of it. Perfect. It's a prequel, Danielle. Train those children. Yeah. (laughs) To take over for us in our old age. All right. Well, until then, I guess don't just hack airport terminals to follow spies. (laughs) I'm so upset about that. (laughs) We should look into the uh, hacker's world of 1987. What was possible, what was not. <laughs> All I know is what I learned from the movies, Danielle. That's unfortunate. Sneakers, hackers. Well, hackers was more 90s. War games, that stuff. Anyway, until then, bye. Take care, everybody. Certainly glad I have a soundtrack in my background for this entire episode. It's real good. I think it's gonna mesh well with the vibe of the <laughs> spy movie, it, right? Because it, <laughs> it's disjointed and uh, not unwanted, which is just like the Hardy Boys are everywhere they go in this book. <laughs>